That wonderful crooning you just heard is from a song co-written by Ella Fitzgerald. It was one of her standards titled, You Showed Me The Way, which gives the newest album on Sadie Records its title, Show Me The Way. It was sung by baritone Will Liverman with pianist Jonathan King. Those of you who've listened to these podcasts before know that when we have a new album on Sadie, and this is our release for March 2024, we have a new classical Chicago podcast this is episode number 67. I'm Jim Ginsburg, founder and president of Sadie Records and host of these Classical Chicago podcasts. And my guest on this podcast is baritone Will Liverman. Hi, Will. Hey, how you doing, Jim? Well, wonderful. And I'm so glad to have you on this podcast. I should note that Will is a rising superstar baritone, a recipient of the 2022 Beverly Sills Artist Award, co-creator of The Factotum, an opera produced by Lyric Opera of Chicago last year, 2023. Also starred in X, Life and Times of Malcolm X at the Metropolitan Opera earlier this season. Was also the star of the lyric production of Terrence Blanchard's Fire Shut Up in My Bones, which with the Metropolitan Opera won the 2023 Grammy Award for Best Opera Recording. So that's just a little taste of what Will has to offer. Not only is Show Me the Way Will's second featured album on Sadie Records, but Will is also Sadie's newest board member. So thank you for that, Will. Uh, Thank you guys for welcoming me in that way. Well, I've already given some of the highlights, but can you talk a little bit about how your career has taken off since we emerged from the pandemic from 2021 onwards? It was a crazy roller coaster when you think about the pandemic and, of course, how it affected all of us with the shutdown and would the arts ever come back? And I remember losing everything, as we all did. And But through that sparked creativity, and I kept finding ways to keep myself going composing started to come about. I was doing more of that, and we recorded Dreams of a New Day at the height of the pandemic, and Fire Shut Up My Bones was something that came across the table. August of 2020, mind you, this is post-George Floyd. When we're at this standstill, a lot of organizations in the classical industry are reconsidering what's missing in this chapter that we're taking in diversity and, and more inclusion is something that I'm honored to be a part of and shifted my landscape. The combo of the pandemic and George Floyd and where I was in my career and the things that I was working on with Factotum and then having this unexpected opportunity to do Fire Shut of My Bones. And around the same time, Dreams of a New Day was released, which featured all black composers and that put me on this course stepping outside of the box and going in all different kinds of directions. I've been grateful. It's not lost on me when I think back to the pandemic of how we were all just sitting there and thinking about what it would mean to perform again in front of audiences and to have that opportunity to be working on albums and other projects. It's truly something that I don't take for granted and I'm happy to be doing it. 
Well, we're very happy to be part of your artistic mission. Dreams of a New Day was recorded in summer of 2020, so this is pre-vaccine. We had to actually go to Indiana to record it because your pianist for that album, Paul Sanchez, came from South Carolina, and this was in the period when Illinois refused to let people in from states that had higher COVID rates, Mm -hmm. unless they did a two-week quarantine, which obviously was not something he could do. Happily, Indiana didn't care, and we went over there and found a very nice hall to record in. And that came out of Black History Month, February of 2021, earned a Grammy nomination. And I wonder if you could just talk a little bit about how Dreams of a New Day and your other recent recordings, including other Grammy nominees and award winners since then, and how those have furthered your career and artistic goals. Yeah, Dreams of a New Day was a big game changer. Brings me back when you talk about when we recorded it, because that was the very first thing that I'd done in person. I think for both Paul and I to have that collaboration, a lot of people were doing the split screen. (laughs) You do your recording and then someone would send a track. We were doing what we can to make it work. So to have the opportunity to go in live and to sing. I remember when we first ran through Amazing Grace by Leslie Adams. It was just a sweeping sense of joy just to be able to collaborate and make music. That experience elevated my career because that project got so much visibility and the great work that Sadie did in pushing the album. We got a lot of great press from it and reviews. And Honestly, for me, the most important thing was creating more of an exposure to works by Black composers that have been around. It was meaningful to have it reach so many people and folks come back to me and say, I never heard these songs before. Where can I get them? Creating that visibility, that's what we wanted to do. And Sadie helped achieve that dream for me. And since then, you've recorded albums with Shauna Pebolo and the Metropolitan Opera that have also gotten significant recognition. Yeah, Shauna Pebolo is another dear friend of mine and a great collaborator, you know, Chicago-based composer. Our connection is through Wheaton College. I was a graduate there, and he teaches there in the composition department. And we've done several spiritual albums, and the second one got a Grammy nomination. Lord, how come me here? Also, the recording of Fire Shut Up In My Bones won the Grammy for Best Opera Recording, which was cool to describe. I was actually in the middle of a Q&A for Factotum when they told me. So that whole experience with Fire and being a part of that moment to have our first Black composer's work be represented on that stage. I can remember like it was yesterday, that opening night, all the electricity in the house and people just being so supportive and all came together and got through that run. And so to see the flip side of that and for it to receive the nomination and the win was special. And I should note that we're talking about Terrence Blanchard's Fire Shut Up My Bones, which you sang both at the Met and then later at Lyric Opera of Chicago. Mm -hmm. And that Shauna Pebolo's Two Black Churches, which you commissioned, was the centerpiece of your CD album, Dreams of a New Day. So Mm -hmm. a lot of connections here. I should note, we're really just going over Will's recent history now. If you'd like to learn more about Will's start in music, his role models, teachers, apprentice programs, etc., I would refer you to Classical Chicago Podcast, episode number 41, which was about Dreams of a New Day. Dreams was an all-black composer's album. What was your inspiration for following that album up with an album devoted to women in classical music, and that's all women composers, and except for your pianist, Jonathan King, all women collaborators performing with you. This project was another pandemic-inspired program. Jonathan came to visit me in Chicago, and we're just sitting on the couch, just dreaming up what we wanted to do next. With how Dreams of the New Day turned out, we turned our attention 
to building a program celebrating American female composers for their contributions in art song. A lot of that inspiration came from my own mother. My mom is a gospel singer and a writer, and I've always wanted to feature her in something. And so those two things were what sparked the idea, and we just built a program and just dreamed up what we wanted. And to also feature singers and artists that are out there that have made a major impact in the industry and, and have them be on the album too. is a very ambitious program, which I'm so thankful to Say D for creating space for it and, and making it all happen. And of course, it's very appropriate that we are releasing this album in March, which is Women's History Month. And it's also appropriate that this is now the fourth album to be funded in part by what we created in 2022, which is the Ruth Bader Ginsburg Fund for Vocal Recordings at Sadie Records. I should note that Show Me the Way is also supported by a generous anonymous donor and the Robert and Isabel Bass Foundation. As we mentioned, there are five different commissions on the album, which is a, quite an undertaking. Do you get any support for creating these commissions? Yes, I have to give a big shout out to the Sphinx organization who gave me a grant. I was a former Sphinx winner, and one of the great things about an organization like Sphinx, when you're in the family, they want to find ways to continue to support what you're doing. And I got this Empower grant, which they give out to artists that are embarking on different projects and need that financial support for commissions or venues, whatever it is you're looking to do. So I applied and sent them this project, and that grant covered all the commissions. Getting these composers, and respectfully, you want to pay them what they're worth. Big shout out to the Sphinx organization for giving me this Empower grant to make those commissions happen. As they say, it takes a village, and we are grateful for all of those who support our recordings. Mm-hmm. I'd urge you to visit the Sadie Records website, C-E-D-I-L-L-E records.org, to learn more about how you can support the future of vocal recording at Sadie Records. And speaking of why recordings like this need support, is it fair to say that this new album was a more ambitious undertaking than Dreams of a New Day and your other recent recordings? And if so, how? <laughs> I would say so. Dreams of a New Day, our big centerpiece, was commissioning Shano Pueblo for the Two Black Churches, which was still one of my favorite cycles, and it was such a great collaboration. And so to extend on that, this album was a bit more ambitious just because of the amount of commissions that we had and the people that we wanted to write for this album. This is a super collaborative album, features a lot of duets and ensemble pieces, something that we really wanted to showcase this time around. So there's a lot more artists involved in this project. Well, let's talk about how the album is arranged, specifically your choice to bookend the album, which is otherwise of art songs, with the two popular songs on the program, which are also the only pieces that exist in arrangements. And the first that we just heard an excerpt from is from your artistic collaborator and pianist, Jonathan King. And the last, which we'll talk about, obviously, at the end, is by you and your mom. Mm-hmm. Can you talk a little bit about this Fitzgerald piece and John's arrangement of it? As we were discussing what we wanted to put on the album and in celebrating composers, we thought about stepping back a bit and adding pieces that just celebrated American music and style. So jumping a little bit out of art song land. And you know, what is an art song? You know, piano and voice. And we 
wanted to take a plunge into some jazz and gospel. So we thought it'd be cool to highlight Ella Fitzgerald and shout out. I'm from Virginia and she's also Virginia native and referred to as first lady of song, the queen of jazz. So to highlight something that she wrote and in a piece that embodies what this whole project is about, really cool. And Jonathan, who's a dear friend and collaborator, we wanted to also showcase our creative side. So he arranged this piece for my voice. He knows my voice really well and wanted to bring in the album a little differently. And speaking of it being differently, I think it's fair to say you apply a different kind of singing style to this than to everything else? Yeah, that's one of the beauties of recording. You're able to bring out lots of different colors and shapes, and so played around with a lot of jazz crooning and just more of a softer, different side of singing that otherwise I wouldn't do. So it's not modeled specifically after any particular crooner? Uh, probably Nat King Cole, I would say. Ah. I always have his voice in my, even though it probably doesn't come across, we have completely different voices. But I look to him for just good singing, just with his delivery. So when I think about crossover singing, that's the first voice that comes in my head. of Someone who's just super clear, it's not put on, it's just him, so honest. I also wonder if there might be a touch of Johnny Mathis in there as well. Okay, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I can hear that too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Everything else, you're working from the printed notes on the page, whereas you're working from a chart on this one. And mm-hmm. How is that different practically? With the chart, it gave us some flexibility with taking risks and varied takes where I might do something a little differently with a line, or John might play something, add an accord here or there, as long as it's like we're landing in the same places. And that's one of the beauties of jazz, one of the elements that we wanted to bring out, that freedom and flexibility to play within the song, because what having a chart allows is not telling you exactly what you need to play. It's like a guideline into the song that way. From my perspective as the album producer, and I am very proud to be the producer of this album, it meant working off of the text rather than working off of the score. You did that beautifully, by the way. So thanks for (laughs) your patience with that. That was great fun. Well, to move on to the next set on the album, which is Jasmine Barnes' A Sable Jubilee, a set of three songs, and in his excellent program notes for the album, uh, pianist Jonathan King identifies this as one of the first inspirations for this whole Show Me The Way project. Can you talk about how you came to commission these poems and this song set based on them? One of the things that I wanted to feature is to find something that embodied Black joy and what that is. There's so many works that I've done that are super important and impactful, deals with a lot of pain and suffering, and that's part of the journey as well. And you look at our American history and the black experience, but we need a balance. And I wanted to find something on this program that brought out something joyous and to find commissions. So we also commissioned breadist Tisia Cortang is actually a great friend of mine and also a singer. And Jasmine Barnes, who I had heard about just from her reputation and all of the works that she's done. And then we approached them. Actually, one of the first collaborators that we approached in building this album and what it was going to be, 
to come up with this art song cycle talking about black joy and what that means. It's a beautiful piece. It's something that I resonated with immediately when I opened the score for the first time and singing through it. Beautifully written and the words are impactful and poignant and I'm glad that we were able to bring that together and put it out there. Before we continue with this, I just should ask about this process of commissioning in general since there are five different commissions on the album. How do these come about and as in this case, you commissioned the words and then the setting, or there's some where the words were already there or chosen by the composer? How does that work? Uh, it was different for each one. For Sable Jubilee, we commissioned the words and the music and had them both come up with what they wanted to do. But we told them we wanted something dealing with Black joy and celebration, and we let them collaborate on what they wanted to come up with. And they came back to us with the three movements, which became the song cycle. And for the other commissions, we gave guidelines on a few poets that we wanted to feature. But for the most part, we wanted to keep it super collaborative. That's how we operate and giving them space to find some texts that they're inspired by. It brings about the most meaningful art. Yeah, it was slightly different with each commission. We are very happy with how everything turned out and how this program came to be. And the songs in Sable Jubilee are Inspiration, Luxury, and Elevation. What sides of Black Joy do each cover? It's so beautifully done with the words that Ticia gave to us. Each movement covers different feeling of Black Joy. The first one, Inspiration, is just celebration of like what it means to be Black. There are references to the electric slide and sweet potato pie, the Soul Train line. There's lots of references in the music. It's got Lift Every Voice and Sing. It's got Al Green's Let's Stay Together. It just embodies what the cycle is about. And then luxury, we get into simpler setting and a reflective piece about just being proud of who we are and not backing away from that. Everything from being trendsetters, history makers, being creatives, individuals who are game changers. That's my favorite song out of the three. And then the elevation is what comes out of that. The black experience is transcendent, sparks just jubilant joy. And you hear that in the music when it gets towards the end. It picks up in tempo and it becomes a nice groove that Jasmine sets up. It's beautifully crafted all around. I thought we could hear the beginning of the cycle, which is the first part of inspiration. And yes, it has wonderful lines. Some of the ones that jump out at me are rich soil, tree bark, cacao, brown sugar, mm-hmm. unks white linen suit, cocoa butter, scented hugs. These paint an image, don't they? Mm-hmm. It does. It's so vivid. and The words are just right there with Jasmine's writing of it. When I started singing, I was just super excited. You don't often hear that in a, a song cycle. I hope that people, when they listen, are affected by it. As you point out, Jasmine's music really underlines all this. And you mentioned lift every voice and sing, and you'll definitely hear that in this excerpt. So here is the first part of Inspiration, the first song in the three-song set, A Sable Jubilee by Jasmine Barnes, as sung by baritone Will Liverman with pianist Jonathan King. You showed me I was someone in distress 
Tapestry woven by belly laughs, electric sliding through gradients of melody. just heard the first part of a song titled Inspiration. It's the first song in a set called A Sable Jubilee, a set of three songs by Jasmine Barnes as performed by baritone Will Liverman and pianist Jonathan King from their new Sadie album, Show Me the Way. That certainly has a pretty meaty piano part, so I think this would be a good time to talk about John King and collaborating with him. So can you talk about your history with him and how integral he was to the forming of this project. At this point, I could write a book. John King and I are on our adventures. We met at Wheaton College. We came up in school together, did my junior and senior recital with him. We parted ways for grad school, 
and we made a pact to every year do an art song recital somewhere just because we both came out of school with such an appreciation for art song and we loved the storytelling would find venues every year in different cities. And back when Facebook events was a thing, we'd put our art song concerts on a Facebook event and just doing our own PR for it. And it was just for the sake of performing together and the collaboration we enjoy and putting together programs. That's the fun of it too. And we've been doing that over the course of the years. We both did the Wigmore Hall competition which was an elevating moment for the both of us to go overseas and compete against some of the world's best and hear new music and work with a lot of the coaches over there. And we actually did an album, one of our first projects, Whither Must I Wander, where we did the songs of travel from Ray Fon Williams featuring other art songs. So there's so many things that we've done over the years, and we both conceived of this project together because we thought it was time for another album to record and John is just such a great human and a great artist and an honest artist who's playing is so musical and he knows my voice super well we're always right there with one another when we perform it's an honor to have him featured on this project well and it's a pleasure for me to work with him not only such a terrific performer, but I can tell you in the editing process, uh, his comments were really precise, not only about his piano playing, as is often the case with the collaborator, but he was very keyed on your voice as well. Yes. And yeah, yeah what a terrific artist to work with. Mm-hmm. Well, the next piece on the album is a setting of two Paul Lawrence Dunbar poems under the title, I Grew a Rose, which is actually the first line of each poem. And the setting is by Chicago composer Florence Price, who lived from 1887 to 1953. We'll actually save our discussion of her and her songs for later in the podcast, when we'll get to hear her more famous song that appears on disc two of this 87 and a half minute program, which incidentally we're selling at a single disc price. Ha <laughs> ha. Well, after that comes a piece by Renee Orth. It's another commission. You starred recently in her opera, Ten Days in a Madhouse, at Opera Philadelphia. Can you talk about the experience of working with her both there and on this song, and how this song, A Prayer to Text by Sarah Teasdale, became part of this program? When we were thinking about female composers to feature, Renee Orth was someone that immediately came to mind. I met her in Philadelphia. She's based out there. I was on her opera, Ten Days in the Madhouse, and I was just so drawn to her writing because it's unique and well-crafted, and I love her writing for the voice. And so I knew I wanted to feature her on this project. It was Jonathan's idea to incorporate some words by Sarah Teasdale. So there's so many poems that we suggested to her, and she picked her top two, and then we went with the prayer. This text and how she said it adds a lot of depth to the program. We wanted to make it a, a duet because I wanted to also feature Janae Bridges as well. So she wrote this duet for both of our voices. Honestly, that's one of the fun parts about commissioning things is you're having the opportunity to get a piece that's written for your voice. And when you're working with great people like Renee that are just so open and always asking questions, and it's great to see it all come together in that way. Well, speaking of Janae, she is, like you, a product of the Ryan Opera Center at Lyric Opera of Chicago. She's a recipient of the 2018 Sphinx Medal of Excellence Award, 2016 Richard Tucker Career Grant, and a 2012 Marian Anderson Award. 
She represented the U.S. at the BBC Cardiff Singer of the World competition. She's recently had a sold-out Carnegie Hall recital debut, and especially dear to my heart, she performed at the Library of Congress as she received the 2022 Ruth Bader Ginsburg Woman of Leadership Award. Quite a storied colleague here. Absolutely. What is your history of collaborating with her, and what was it like working particularly on this song with her? It was really great to have... Janae come and be a part of this project because speaking of Sadie being a Chicago-based thing, we both got our start in Chicago. I met her, we did the Glimmerglass Young Artist Program. Two years later, we both got into the Ryan Center Program at the same time and were young artists at Lyric Opera of Chicago for three years. We've been working together a long time. She was also featured a lot on Sean Pebblo's works, and I just couldn't imagine doing this project and not having an opportunity to have her be a part of it. And the prayer was a very fitting piece for the both of us to sing, and it was really great to be able to feature her on this. Speaking of the song itself, how would you describe, well, first this text and then Renee's setting of it? It's a very simplistic in-depth setting of this piece and the structure starts out slow and uh, repeating figure and then there's an imitation between the voices and how it comes together it grows and grows into this climactic moment and that's what I love about Renee's writing and she knows how to capture the voice well with text painting the simplistic nature really makes it a timeless piece. I love how it turned out. Yeah. Well, and just give a sense of the poetry and that inspires this slow setting. You open with, and this is in fact the excerpt uh, we'll hear, we'll be starting at your entrance. Until I lose my soul and lie blind to the beauty of the earth. So that gives you a little sense of what this music is covering. And so let's actually hear that excerpt. This is about the first half of the song. So there's a piano introduction, but we'll start right where you come in with that line that I just read. This takes us through most of the text of the poem. So here is an excerpt from Renee Orth's A Prayer as sung by Will Liverman and Janae Bridges with pianist Jonathan King. Thank you. 
You just heard an excerpt from a song by Renee Orth. The title of the song is A Prayer, and it was sung by Will Liverman, the star of the show on this new album, Show Me the Way, and his collaborator, mezzo-soprano Janae Bridges, with pianist Jonathan King. Well, I hope you enjoyed that, and if you did, you can find this album when it's released on March 8, 2024, on all the streaming sites, whether it's Spotify or Tidal or Apple Music, wherever you like to listen or download. And of course, the physical album will be available for shipping that day, too. You can pre-order ahead of March 8th, and you can get that off the Sadie Records website, C-E-D-I-L-L-E-Records.org, or Amazon or Archive Music, wherever you like to get your music. I hope you'll want to check it out. It is a very full album, 87 and a half minutes, over two CDs, but sold at a single CD price. The last set on CD number one comes next. It's a set titled simply Four Songs by Chicago composer Margaret Bonds, who lived from 1913 to 1972, and it's all settings of poems by Edna St. Vincent Millay. I think it's fair to say that this set is sung less often than Bond's Langston Hughes-based Three Dream Portraits that appeared on your previous CD album, Will, Dreams of a New Day. Why did you choose the Malay songs for this one? That's another aspect to this album. We wanted to showcase pieces that aren't performed that often, don't have as much shine to create that visibility. And more than that, I really love these songs. I hadn't heard of them prior to us doing some research on finding what to do for this album. Bond's writing in this way, her musical structure is well-crafted in this. It's one of my new favorite song cycles. Yeah. In his program notes, Jonathan gives a good roadmap of these, so I'll read from what he wrote. He wrote, Bond's carefully selected four poems from Malay's published collections to create a particular story a narrative that journeys through one protagonist's loss of love, reclaiming of self, and acceptance of a new reality. He also notes that this is the set's first recording in a medium voice key. And I want to ask if there's a different approach when you're singing repertoire that was originally conceived for high or female voice. Mm. It's all pretty much the same. You just have the same approach as you would any other piece. I didn't realize this is the first recording for a medium voice key. That's cool. It's when you're able to find pieces that aren't performed as much and to create a long-lasting recording for people to have access to and one of the reasons why we wanted to record this. Well, John notes that this medium voice key is a recent addition by the Hildegard Publishing Company, so probably there haven't been many opportunities to record it yet. Oh, there you go. (laughs) (laughs) Would you talk a little bit about the individual songs, which are titled Even in the Moment, Feast, which is a particularly ironic song, I Know My Mind, and What Lips My Lips Have Kissed? Yeah, this cycle was inspired by Edna St. Vincent Millay's love affair that she had with George Dillon. They were romantically involved, and the affair was widely publicized and added an extra layer of drama to her public persona. It's a part of her life that intertwines with the broader narrative of her time, reflecting and changing the norms and attitudes of the early 20th century. It just goes through a relationship that you know is not going to last, but you crave it anyway. And then at the end, even though it's something you want, 
on song three, I know my mind, you know, the decision is made that I can live without love and move on with my life and take that power back. And so rare to hear that in a song cycle about unrequited love or love that's just doesn't last. Someone's ready to jump into a river. So it's nice to have a, a song cycle that tells a different narrative about how you can recover from a, a romantic relationship that doesn't go in your favor. I love this setting. Well, and in fact, I think it's fair to say that that third song, I Know My Mind, really is the emotional heart of the set. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's my favorite. And that's actually the excerpt we'll hear is about the first two-thirds of that. The poetry is so good. hope you'll indulge me in reading the first few lines. I know my mind and I have made my choice. Not from your temper does my doom depend. Love me or love me not, you have no voice in this. That is my portion to the end. That's the key for me in that, that love me or love me not, you have no voice in this. What makes this piece so important, that decision to move on, despite how much you may want to continue, it's stellar. And how does Bond's music underline that? It's super dramatic. For me, one of the most operatic art songs that I've ever performed. The writing of the Know My Mind this decisive determination mindset is drawn out in the piano with the boom, ba bum driving and aggressive and just so full of passion. Learning this song cycle, I was just continue to be amazed by Margaret Bonds and just a master of text painting. The musical structures in this are amazing. Well, let's hear that then. Here's an excerpt of I Know My Mind, third song out of four songs by Margaret Bonds, all settings of... Poetry by Edna St. Vincent Millay. Once again, Will Everman is the baritone and Jonathan King at the piano. Yeah. 
You just heard an excerpt from I Know My Mind, song by Margaret Bonds, from her set of four songs on text by Edna St. Vincent Millay, as sung by Will Liverman, baritone, with Jonathan King at the piano, from their new album, Show Me the Way, March 2024 release on Sadie Records. And I'm speaking with Will Liverman, the star of this album. As I mentioned, it's divided over two CDs, and the second one begins with the only piece that uses other instruments and the only one that is not a song, actually, but an excerpt from an opera. As Jonathan King explains in his program notes, Amy Cheney Beach wrote only one opera in her lifetime, and it's a curious one-act chamber piece for singers and piano trio. It's titled Cabildo and tells the true story of a smuggler named Pierre Lafitte, who was falsely imprisoned and condemned within the New Orleans Cabildo, which is a traditional Spanish town hall, and incidentally, it's still in existence today. And this happened during the Battle of New Orleans at the tail end of the War of 1812. In typical operatic fashion, John notes, the libretto by Nan Bagby Stevens abandons fact and makes it actually the ghost of Lafitte's recently deceased lover, a totally fictional character named Lady Valerie, who comes to free him from his cell. This is wild. (laughs) And the love duet that ensues is actually the excerpt heard on this album. So, Will, I don't think this piece is done very often. How did you discover it, and why did you choose it for the album? Look, I got to give all the credit to John on this one, because when we were thinking about the composers to feature, we wanted to commission composers of today that are out there doing it and to pay respects to the female composers back then who paved the way. I mean, you can't do that without mentioning Amy Beach. And we were looking at some songs first, and then John was like, hey, she's got this unknown opera, Cabildo, but there's this (laughs) duet in there. And so he actually had some connection with an Amy Beach scholar who found the music and then so overly operatic and different. And it gave us an opportunity to feature some instrumentalists as well, uh, which added a nice layer to the album. And so we just went with it. (laughs) Well, and of course, this one has lots of collaborators. And let's talk about them in turn. First of all, your singing partner, the Lady Valerie character, is Nicole Cabell who is best known as the 2005 BBC Cardiff Singer of the World. (laughs) She's also another product of the Ryan Center, or back then it was called the Lyric Opera Center for American Artists. This is actually her third appearance on Sadie Records. She recorded an album called Sisters in Song with her friend Allison Cambridge, fellow soprano, which is all duets except for one trio that happens to involve a young baritone named Will Liverman. <laughs> My CD debut. That's right, the Mozart uh, Suave Silvento from uh, Cosi Fan Tutte, and a beautiful performance, I might add. I was very nervous. <laughs> didn't want to mess up. I didn't want to be the one. Yeah, you were <laughs> Keep... great. Nicole has also recorded on the DECA and Deutsche Grammophone labels, among several others. And most recently, she had her star turn on the world premiere recording on Sadie Records of Joseph Boulogne, the Chevalier de Saint-Georges' only surviving opera, L'Amant Anonyme, which was released to great acclaim a year ago in 2023. 
This is also the only piece on the album that involves other instruments, as mentioned. And your collaborators on that are the violinist is Lady Jess. And I think I'll let you, Will, give some of her bio highlights. Yes, Lady Jess is a tremendous violinist who I was able to connect with. I saw her perform Carnegie Hall in, gosh, 2021, I think. And maybe a few months after that, when we knew that we were going to be doing this project where I reached out to her, asked to see if she would be a part of Show Me The Way. And she agreed. And it's great because Lady Jess is tremendous, such a versatile artist. She does a lot of things in the classical field and working with the Sphinx Virtuosi. That's where I met her at that Carnegie Hall concert, but does a lot in film and Hollywood. And most recently, she's now on Broadway playing in the orchestra for Sweeney Todd. So she's done a lot of great things in her career. So it was cool to have her be a part of this album and feature her on violin. And I should note that she has particularly close associations with Beyonce. Yes. How can I forget that? Yeah, she's been on tour with Beyonce for, uh, gosh, a number of years touring the world on her On the Run tour. So inspiring to be in so many different lanes and venues and styles and to be able to do it all. I think it's, it's a very inspiring artist. And the other string player on the piece is cellist Tahira Whittington, who is a founding member of the Ritz Chamber Players in Jacksonville, Florida, and the Decomposed String Quartet based right here in Chicago. And this is not her first rodeo on CD. Uh, many years ago, she appeared on an album devoted to the music of late composer Coleridge Taylor Perkinson, where she played his Lamentations Black Folk Song Suite on CD. I guess I should ask, Will, what was it like working with all three of these? But I guess in this case, especially Nicole as your singing partner. In honor, this whole project was just so humbled just for people to respond to this project and take the time to come out and record. Everyone from Janae, Nicole, Lady Jastahira, these are world-class artists. And with Nicole, I've always known of her going back to winning the Cardiff Singer of the World and to her work in the program, you know, she's always someone I looked up to. So to be able to work with her and in a way honoring her work in the field and the great things that she's done, we actually curated a program at Opera Theater St. Louis and also both were a part of William Grant Still's Highway One back in 2021, I think, right when we were stepping back out into the performing world, did the performance outside in a blazing hot parking lot, at least the hot. night I went. <laughs> yeah. We had microphone set up and everything. And again, you know, once we had agreed on this piece, we sent it over to Nicole and she agreed to do it. And it was just a beautiful afternoon of music making. And I have to hear who's your suggestion. Oh my gosh, her playing is just makes it sing like a voice. And it's so musical, the depth in which she plays. We were really honored to have her be a part of this chamber piece. Well, speaking of it being a chamber piece, is there anything different in your approach to singing when you're supported by more than uh, just the piano? I think this is the piece, especially with this wacky story of the context. It's super operatic and over the top with the lyrics. And so when you add the string element in this, I really turned up the 
operatic volume in that way and just making it, I guess, bel canto. And especially with Nicole and her voice, <laughs> everything she sings is just pure line and beauty. So I really was just trying to match what she was doing. It was great to see that come together. Well, musically, the romanticism here really is over the top. How much fun is it to sing a piece like this that combines such a lush sound with, frankly, not the most scintillating of lyrics? Yeah, (laughs) it's fun, but you lean into it. I look at a piece like that, and it's just music for music's sake, over the top with the text, but then add those strings and the beautiful playing by Tahira and Lady Jess and, and Jonathan. It's really well executed. You just lean into listening and just enjoying the voices together. And I think it's beautifully written. I think it could be a standalone piece that people could add to a program if they want something different. So I think it offers that. Let's hear an excerpt of that now. So we'll hear from Pierre, that's your character's entrance, which comes after Nicole sings the first stanza. And so we'll go through the first time you sing together, the line that is repeated a dozen times over the course of the duet, My Dear, My Dearest One. So here are Will Liverman, Nicole Cabell singing along with Lady Jess, Tahira Whittington, and Jonathan King on the instruments. And this duet is titled, Ah, Love is a Jasmine Vine. You just heard an excerpt from an opera, the only opera, by Amy Cheney Beach, scored for piano trio and singers. And in this case, the singers were Will Liverman, baritone, and Nicole Cabell, soprano. We heard Lady Jess on violin, Tahira Whittington on cello, and Jonathan King on piano in that excerpt from the love duet titled Ah, Love is a Jasmine Vine from Calypso, which is Beach's Opus 149. As they say on Monty Python... 
And now for something completely different, as we go from the most unabashedly romantic piece on the album to the most bracingly modern one. Will, can you talk about Kamala Sankaram and her inspiration for setting Catherine Smith's poem about wildfire devastation, uh, titled Spell to Turn the World Around, and your and John's reason for choosing this piece in text? It was a great honor when we reached out to Kamala Sankaram to write something for this album. For this commission, we gave her free reign what she wanted to do. We just wanted to feature her for the great work she's written and just celebrating her as a composer. And she chose a text by Catherine Smith, Spell to Turn the World Around, which deals with wildfires, the terrible destruction that it brings. I often, in my mind, I think about the fires in Maui. I went there last summer. John and I were talking about this piece and how relevant it is, unfortunately. This piece deals with wildfires, our most modern piece that we have. The soundscape is creepy and eerie. There's some strings that are plucked in the piano to create that soundscape. It's quite a contrast to the beach, which is why we love it. Well, actually, you covered everything I was going to mention. That is the only piece that requires Jonathan to go inside the instrument. So what was that like for him? <laughs> well, he was always trying to find an instrument. He was like, can I practice this? Yeah, that took quite a bit of rehearsal on our part just to line up everything and to really create that soundscape because it's so specific. I keep switching Jonathan and John. I call him John, but professionally I like to be called Jonathan. But John, a shout out to him on these amazing program notes. And there's something I did want to quote from this. He says, Sankaram constructs by assigning numbers to the letters of the word smoke, wildfire, and breath, and matching those numbers to the 12 notes of the equal-tempered scale. So that's how the piece is conceived. I love all of the different colors that she allowed me to bring out in this and just the space that was created to set up this story. And in his notes, Jonathan comments on the brutality of some of the words in the poem. Birds battered, feathers damp with blood, the firefighter's grave, and I think the music obviously fits that. Why don't we hear an excerpt, and this is going to be from picking it up in the middle of the song and going to the climax on Three Years Before Flames. This is from Kamala Sankaram on a text by Catherine Smith, Spell to Turn the World Around, once again, Will Liverman and Jonathan King. When you say Thank you. 
Well, that was some powerful stuff. That was an excerpt from Spell to Turn the World Around by Catherine Smith, as sung by Will Liverman, baritone, and Jonathan King at the piano for their album Show Me the Way on Sadie Records. And now we go back in time again, and we go to the other Florence Price song on the program, which is probably the best-known existing song on the program, but one that you definitely put your own stamp on. Before we get to it, and I'm speaking, incidentally, of Songs to the Dark Virgin, a setting of a Langston Hughes poem, but before we get to that, is there anything you would want to say about the less well-known Price song, I Grew a Rose, that's on disc one and why you chose that one? Florence Price is someone who I wasn't able to feature for the Dreams of a New Day album. So this time around, I wanted to make sure that we had a few songs by Price, you know, obviously she's so significant with her compositions and how she blends traditional European styles and African-American musical elements and all of the barriers that she was able to break and paving the way for future generations of African-American composers felt that it was important for this album to feature her. And to have two songs, do one that was songs of the dark version, I know is the most well-known. But then I Grew a Rose, at least for me, is not something that I hear that often. And it's just so beautiful. It's probably my favorite art song. or one of my new favorites. There's so many that I love. But this one in particular, just because of the simplistic nature of it, but yet it's still so rich and detailed, it's just a joy to sing. And it sets poetry by Paul Lawrence Dunbar. Can you talk about his importance? Dunbar, he's a poet that is significant during that time period, novelist and a playwright. And he showcased the richness of African-American language and culture. His achievements laid the groundwork for future African-American writers. It's nice to have a setting by Dunbar for this album. Well, speaking of future writers, Songs to the Dark Virgin comes from the cycle Four Songs from the Weary Blues, and it sets Price and also Margaret Bond's favorite poet, Langston Hughes. Mm -hmm. Now, you sang Bond's three dream portraits to Hughes' verses on your previous Sadie album. Why is Langston Hughes such a crucial author for the era in which both composers were writing. Langston Hughes, super prominent figure during the Harlem Renaissance, and a lot of his poetry and writings captured what the African-American experience was in addressing those issues of identity and social justice. was such an important figure in American literary history. And they're all in that together and fighting for the same things and having that speak through their arts. It's so important to feature him in this album as well. Well, you and John really bring out the sensuality of Price's setting. Can you talk a little bit about your approach and, of course, the words whose sensuality Price so effectively brings out? 
This piece and along with Riding the Town, which is featured on my Dreams of a New Day, are two of the first art songs I ever learned. Thought it'd be interesting to feature this sensual piece that's so romantic and with our stamp to really bring out the beautiful word painting by Langston Hughes was our tempo. A lot of times, piece has a nice flow, as a moderate, and take the foot off the gas and purposefully set it a lot slower to bring out the words in each verse. And that was Jonathan's idea. I think it worked really nicely because it just sets up everything so well. The words and the longing behind the words, I would say. Absolutely, yeah. And also, frankly, the slower tempo really shows off your voice very nicely <laughs> as well. <Yeah. laughs> and take deeper breaths, but it all works out, yeah. It's really gorgeous, and happily, even at your tempo, it's still only a little over two minutes, so we, oh, okay. <laughs> we get to hear the whole thing. Here is Songs to the Dark Virgin of Florence Price, as sung by Will Liverman and performed on piano by Jonathan King. A shattered jewel that on my shining brilliance might fall at thy feet, thou dark just heard baritone Will Liverman and pianist Jonathan King's rendition of Florence Price's Songs to the Dark Virgin, set to a Langston Hughes text, perhaps the best known piece on this album, which of course is mostly commissions. And we come to one of those now, titled Machine Head Ted Burke Poems. This is the third and last song set on the album, and also the longest, and it's by Minnesota-based composer Libby Larson, who has a catalog of over 500 works now, 
and they span every genre, including over a dozen operas. She's a Grammy Award winner. She's been featured on over 50 different CDs. She is a co-founder in 1973 of the Minnesota Composers Forum, which is now the American Composers Forum. So basically, she's a big deal. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) So how did you come to commission this cycle from her? This was a commission that John took lead on. He met Libby or worked with her at a song festival in years past and recommended commissioning her for this album. You know, I'd always known of Libby Larson's works, but I didn't have a connection to her. And so John had reached out and she agreed, which we were really thrilled about. She's one of the prominent composers of our day and has done so much. And for her to write this song cycle, it was special when you think about all the things she's done in her career. She took charge on what direction she wanted to go. It was another case where we let her have free reign of the things that inspired her. And she emailed us one day and Ted Burke, Ted Burke, like she got really excited about Ted Burke. And at the time I didn't really know who he was and then started doing some research on him and great American poet, bookseller, and a critic as well. And there are these pieces that she found that she really was excited to set to music. If this is the direction you want to take it, we're along for the ride with you. And what she came back with was just completely mind-blowing. This baritone cycle is one of the newest and coolest cycles that's out there. It's so masterfully done, and it's just a brilliant set. And I love storytelling and getting into different characters. There's so much of that in this piece, and the wonder, the adventure... The quirkiness, everything that I love about what art song can be, Machine Head's great. Let me give Libby's own description. She said that, For this piece, I want to be inspired by our own language, our own rhythms, and the way we, that is our culture, use ordinary every-person objects, like a cigarette, radio, cardboard box you find in the garage, to transport us into our interior selves where we articulate emotions that are universal. And John adds that the result of her settings is transporting, each song revealing a unique corner of Burke's writing and the world he inhabits. And this world in particular is the world of mid-20th century America. And it really is some of the most fun poetry on the album with lines like, man, this is a great tasting cigarette. (laughs) Back in time for Flintstones. Mm. and genius in bathroom stalls. <laughs> so how do Libby's settings contribute to the humor of Ted Burke's ingenious poems? In just about every way you can imagine. For me, what sticks out is the rhythmic structure, how she crafts the melodic structure and how the play within that. It's just great. I don't know where to begin. Like, I think particularly the Machine Head song itself with the hard-driving figure in the piano. The, you know, I grew up playing piano, so the pieces that have featured piano and really enhance the storytelling, that just gives me so much to go off of when I'm listening to how intrinsic that is and it sparks a lot of creativity and how I want to shape a phrase. It's just a great piece and something that will definitely be performing for years and years to come. Jonathan describes uh, the individual songs, uh, which are titled Rexall. And if you think of an old drugstore, you are correct. Uh, It is based on the old drugstore chain, Rexall, as a smoky blues. 
Then the second song, My Father Intercepts My Trip to Another Planet, is much more of an introspective piece. And then it's followed by Machine Head, the, which gives the cycle its title. And Jonathan, I think, correctly describes that as a hard-driving boogie. And you, Will, had talked about the Belcanto singing in the Amy Beach piece. I think it is fair to say that this has what some people jokingly refer to as Can Belto singing. <laughs> you get to present the full power of your voice in these songs. Yeah, and that's the fun and freedom in this cycle is I get to extend my range in different colors that I want to bring out in the with all the great wordplay and the poetry's fun, so imaginative and and so accessible and with all these things that you know we talked about earlier that connection points, just simple things and relationship to our families. Really Ted Burke's story, but there's so much that we can find to relate to. And singing it, I do get to, a chance to really bring out the full range of what I can do. Libby was like, what's the, the highest note that you feel comfortable doing? And I was like, eh, maybe a G, A flat. And sure enough, she put that big A flat at the end of a Machine Head, and it's a thrill. Which we're about to hear. But before we get to that, I just have to ask, are these songs as much fun to sing as you make them sound? <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. Learning it, different story, just because learning them, performing them, is every step of the journey in this commission. Libby is just such a great individual artist. She took the time to work with us over Zoom, coming out to the recording session and just being hands-on was so special for us. We learned a lot from her and just the time that she gave us was just a true gift. Oh yes, I should have mentioned that the other composer who came is on the next piece, Sarah Kirkland Snyder. So how is it helpful to have the composer right there? It's a sigh of relief. You know what you're doing is either right or wrong. It's so helpful to have that perspective just able to fix things right on the spot when she's there and she wants a different color brought out or something isn't right. We want to make her happy with what she's written. And also at the same time, she gives us space to take the piece and make it our own. But it's a gift to have the creator in the room. And if there are things that we maybe want to change in the spot, we can. That's the great thing about the collaborative process in the studio when the composer is on site there. Well, and I can tell you, she was very happy with the, how this turned out. So you talked about the ending of Machine Head, and we'll actually hear the second half of that song, the third song in the cycle, ending on that high A flat. Here is an excerpt from the song Machine Head from the cycle Machine Head by Libby Larson, as sung by Will Liverman and Jonathan King at the piano. Machines are plugged in, of course, and they reek of English leather, for they contemplate major leaps in technology, invention before need arises, genius in bathroom stalls. Machine that goes on and on and do everything under the sun that never seemed to break down before until someone built a machine. A God. 
The hippest machines on my block Solicit my opinions for no good reason to know Because of my yearning in the programming To have some bite removed and monstered a doubt. All the bad wiring in the world circles round my heart. When I realize you're still not here, that I'm talking to Machines that tell me everything except where you are and why we aren't in love like we used to be. You just heard an excerpt from Machine Head, song by Libby Larson, a third song, in fact, from a cycle that takes its name from that song. It's newly commissioned by Will Liverman for his album, Show Me the Way, with pianist Jonathan King. After a big ending like that, Will, this might be a good time to discuss the engineering of Sadie's Bill Malone and how he was able to capture everything from the softest pianissimos to that fortissimo ending we just heard, and yet keep the sound attractive and perfectly balanced. Hey, look, that CD magic that you guys have. You have the dream team that's there and, and capturing everything and finding all the right takes, putting it together and coming out with something that you feel good about and you get exactly what you want. And hats off to you and Bill for capturing this whole album with all the different styles of music and, and all the different Colors that I try to bring out and making me sound good. (laughs) Well, you actually make it very easy because you sound good naturally. I should note that for the pieces we recorded in Washington, D.C., which were the Snyder with Renee Fleming that we're about to talk about and Kamalis and Karam's piece, the session engineer was Dan Nichols. But even for those, the eventual mixing fell to Bill. And we'll hear in just a moment just how well balanced you and Renee are in that recording. I guess I should ask about the challenges of recording the duets, recording with added strings. The challenge with recording in general is the mental focus that you have to have. The microphone's right there. It's capturing everything from the slightest cough. I remember having a few restarts where I got to clear my throat or the phrase might be almost perfect and then something happens, so you got to stop and go do something else. And when you're adding ensemble members and people that you're working with, someone might have a great take, but then you might not have a 
great take on something and then you have to go back and it's a lot of back and forth and trust is a big word. Sometimes I'll sing something or I may not think it might be great, but then to your ears, you're like, oh no, that was fine. I could be overthinking it. So it's a lot of mental focus, especially as singers, we're capped out for a certain amount of time before we can repeat things without getting vocally tired. So it's just, you have to be smart about how you plan when you're recording. And, and that's something you guys are masters of. You've done it for such a long time and giving us the space throughout the week to break up the songs and just having the time and the breaks built in to have the best session possible. I appreciate that. And when we have artists like you and John to work with, it makes life a lot easier. As I mentioned, the next piece, the penultimate one on the album, is your duet with Renee Fleming. She's a really big deal. Just a few words about her. She's won five Grammy Awards, the U.S. National Medal for the Arts. She has sung at the Nobel Peace Prize ceremony and the Super Bowl. She was a Kennedy Center honoree just last year in 2023. And... Not only is she known as a great artist, but also as a consultant for major art institutions, including the Aspen Music Festival and School, Carnegie Hall, the LA Opera, Lyric Opera of Chicago right here. She's won Germany's Order of Merit, France's Légion d'Honneur, etc., etc. And this piece for you and her was specially commissioned from Sarah Kirkland Snyder, who's also a pretty big deal in her own right. So can you talk a little bit about how this came about? Yeah, this was our fourth down at the 100-yard line Hail Mary throw to see if we could get Renee to be a part of this project. I, along with so many of my colleagues, have a great amount of respect for Renee and everything she's done for the arts and all of the accomplishments in her career. And so a part of this album too, as I said earlier, is paying homage to the great female artists that impacted this industry. And she's up there, one of the greats. And, and in addition to that, all of her work that she does in giving back, she's done so much for the up and coming artists, I mean, including myself. And so to have her on this album is truly a special thing for us. And to also feature Sarah Kirkland Snyder, whose writing I absolutely love. And to make this collaboration happen, is really a dream. We recorded that day in DC and having Sarah there as well for feedback. And it's just a timeless duet that she composed for us. Yeah, really was a highlight for me for last year in, in recording with uh, Renee. Great. Well, and of course, you make reference to Renee's character and her devotion to the next generation in your lovely personal note at the beginning of the recording booklet that I would urge people to read. And even if you get this album digitally, you can go to the Sadie website and to the album page and read the program notes. So highly recommended. I should ask about how it was to work with Renee, both your previous collaborations and what those were, and of course, on this piece. When you're working with the grades, you just sit back and, and learn. It's like a sponge. She's done, of course, so many recordings and she knows exactly what she wants. And it was cool to just see her work in this capacity in a recording setting. And in each interaction that I have with her and any time that I have a chance to work with her, I learn a lot. 
One of the life things that I always took with me that she said when I was a young artist is never stop being a student of your craft. That coming from her, when you look at someone who's done it all, resonated with me. And that's something that I carry with me is continue to go out and be ambitious and learning and bettering yourself. You know, as you change it and grow as an artist, you shouldn't stop learning and developing. There are so many takeaways that I've kept with me from her teachings, and I'm really grateful to have that relationship with her. Well, I like what you said just from my little experience doing this piece. When it came time to get the feedback on the edits, she didn't have many comments, but the ones she had were spot on. And there's one place where she said, you'll really want to use one of my earlier takes of this passage. She knew exactly what she wanted in her sound. And when we finally adjusted that to where it was right, she, thank goodness, had the presence to say, oh, this is good now, but I think it affected the balance with Will. You should check his part now, too. (laughs) And I think in the end, we got the balance just right. As you say, you learn. Yes. (laughs) Sit back and take notes. Well, we should move on to the piece now, which is titled... Everything That Ever Was. It sets uh, poetry by Tracy K. Smith. Can you talk about this text and Sarah's setting of it? It's really thought-provoking text that talks about the impact of time and space and how we think about time and how it affects us at every second. And Sarah's writing is just gorgeous with what she does with these words and setting our voices up so beautifully it captures out-of-body experience time stops just there's so many magical moments and the, the themes that she creates it's an accessible piece that i think will really resonate with a lot of people it's a special one in his note jonathan concludes smith's lyrics combined with snyder's soundscape produce a work that's poignant intimate eternal and deeply beautiful <laughs> enough said on that yeah I think that sums up beautifully the nature of this song, which we'll hear an excerpt from now. And please listen for just how beautifully balanced Will Liverman and Renee Fleming's voices are here. The song is Everything That Ever Was by Sarah Kirkland Snyder with Will Liverman and Renee Fleming's singing and Jonathan King at the piano.
You just heard an excerpt from Everything That Ever Was, text by Tracy K. Smith, music by Sarah Kirkland Snyder, sung by Will Liverman and Renee Fleming, with pianist Jonathan King from their new album on Sadie Records, Show Me The Way. And if you like what you're hearing, I hope you will want to acquire this album, either stream it on Spotify or Tidal or Apple Music, wherever you like your music, and that will become available on March 8th when the album is released. Although this track actually will be released a couple weeks early as a pre-release track, so you may want to check that out. The other pre-release track will be the one we'll talk about in a moment, the last track on the album. It'll become available for shipping also on March 8th, but you can pre-order it, whether it's off Amazon.com or Archive Music or from the Sadie Records website, C-E-D-I-L-L-E Records dot O-R-G. And I should note that there's actually going to be two different streamed versions of this album. One will be exactly matching the two CDs, which incidentally are sold at a single CD price because it's an 87 and a half minute program. But there's going to be a second version on streaming that includes statements that answer the question, when is a time that music showed you the way? Inspired, of course, by the title of the album. And this was presented to many of the composers and performers on the album. Will, can you talk about your idea for this? Yeah, this was something Jonathan and I thought of. What it means to make an album and a story, we thought it would be very interesting to hear from the collaborators themselves and the artists. And having that insight just takes you a little bit deeper into the music. And for us, it was one of the most inspiring things to hear people's answers about how music showed them the way and have a bit of speaking between the songs and to have that variation was something that we wanted to explore and figuring out what the concept of this album was as a whole and having those spoken bits. So thank you, Jim, for going along on the ride for that one and having that in the album because I think it really adds a beautiful layer and gives us some context into who these great female artists are and a little bit of their inspiration. Well, and they were certainly fun to record and very different, these different statements. Oh, so different, yeah. On the second digital version, they're interspersed between the songs or song sets, and I'm going to play one of them as an example, which I particularly like by Nicole Cabell, because she mentions her experience performing William Grant Still's Highway 1 with you in St. Louis. So let's hear that then. Here is Nicole Cabell's answer to the question, when was a time that music showed you the way? Uh, a moment that guided me, changed me, and showed me the way in music was in 2021 at the Opera Theater of St. Louis when Will Liverman and I performed in Highway 1 USA by William Grant Still. It was just coming out of a couple of years of not being able to make music. It gave me a sense of purpose and forged an incredible relationship with a colleague of mine that is now a dear friend. This opera, of course, was extremely influential and important for the time and continues to be. This, for me, was an awakening to viewing music as a way to heal after such a period of deprivation. You just heard Nicole Cabell speaking as part of the alternate digital version of this album, Show Me the Way, album by Will Liverman with Jonathan King. One of the streaming versions is simply the same thing as what's on the CDs, but this second version has spoken statements like the one you just heard from Nicole Cabell. So when you're on streaming, such as Spotify, you'll definitely want to check those out. 
Well, now we come to the final selection on the album, Alma Androzzo's If I Can Help Somebody, probably best known in the rendition by Mahalia Jackson, here arranged by you and your mom, noted gospel singer Terry Liverman, with you at the piano instead of John in this case. So again, a reminder that this album that is otherwise classical selections is bookended by these two popular songs. And the second one is very much inspired by your upbringing with your mom. So can you talk about your mom, her career as a singer, and how she influenced you? Yeah, it's special to have my mom featured on this album. She's my greatest inspiration as an artist. She's a gospel singer and a writer. She has been composing music ever since I was a kid. She would take old tape recorders and record herself with a new song idea that she would have and then play it back and then add to it. And she's always had that creativity about her, and I get a lot of that from her. And she is still the songstress of the family. She is very well known in the Hampton Roads area, has performed overseas and has done a lot with her career. And so I've always wanted to feature her. So to be able to do this piece with her is a very, very meaningful thing for a lot of reasons. And if I can help somebody, it's made famous by Mahalia Jackson, spoke to me as a piece that would be great to close this project. It's really a lot of what my mom embodies and how I've seen her be such a servant to the community and all the things that she's done. And, and you know, leaving with a positive message, something that we need in the world. We wanted to end this with a bit of light, hope, and going back to the roots, something that we arranged that has very centered and of a gospel musical structure. We both spent some time going back and forth on what the arrangement was going to be, and it's a very meaningful to have my mom come and be a part of this project. So can you just talk a little bit about the collaborative process that created this arrangement? Who did what? Well, it's something that we don't even think about. We used to do a lot growing up, just sit at the piano. She would sing gospel songs and hymns, and so it's going back to growing up and what we do in the house. She'd listened to a few recordings of this piece. So I had her sing through of how she was listening to it and perceiving it. And then I layered underneath and added some things and let her dictate the things that she wanted to repeat, which is a very standard in gospel music to return to a phrase and add a little bit of flair into it. And we just cooked it up together in a practice room over the phone, but you know, before she was because we weren't able to really meet in person until she was in Chicago. So we had just talked about what we wanted to do, but weren't able to execute the song and go through it until she was here. So it was hands-on. But that's normally what we do, so it was nice to go back to that and have her lead in that way. Sort of like those stories about George Martin and the Beatles. Yeah, yeah, right. (laughs) Well, as with John's arrangement of the Ella Fitzgerald song at the beginning of the album, this is off a chart. There's no printed song for the piece, uh, having been just worked up in the practice room, as you pointed out. Do you and your mom have plans to do this publicly? I would hope so. It's, you know, a matter of availability and when she would be able to come join us. This is a program that Jonathan and I would love to take on the road and perform live. I mean, I'm sure there will be opportunities down the road for her to come on stage and sing this song. I love hearing my mom sing. It was a play for her. 
a great way to close the program. And I'm guessing uh, if and when you do, this song will probably vary quite a bit from one performance to another? Yeah, <laughs> I think so. Yeah, it will. Yeah, because as with Fitzgerald, from one take to another, different things were tried. Mm-hmm. You have that, as you mentioned, flexibility working from the chart or the rehearsal rather than an actual scored piece. How would you describe your mom's performance style in general and specifically applied to this piece? Yeah, my mom's a great set of ears. She's a perfectionist in her own right. Like she likes to go back and listen and making sure that she gets everything that she wants to come through in the song. It's always been a consistent thing about her. And so much of any musical gene that I get is comes from her. And my dad, too. My dad played a little bit of jazz trumpet and, and piano. In the gospel world, a lot of people rely on their ear, and you, you learn things by rote. So as a young kid, it helped me develop my ear. And that's also a way in which my mom processes music and creates music is just by listening and feeling. And to collaborate in that way is a very cool thing. Was one person more leading the performance or did that kind of ebb and flow as you went? Yeah, like an ebb and flow, I'd say. Each time something was slightly different. But I had a structure of what we wanted to do and just stayed within that. She definitely had the keys <laughs> to the car and I did on the piano just to, to support what she wanted to say with the song. Yeah. Awesome. Well, let's hear some of that then. So here's the first half plus of the song. This is If I Can Help Somebody, as arranged by Terry and Will Liverman on the album Show Me the Way by Will Liverman and Jonathan King. But in this case, the singing is by Terry Liverman with Will Liverman on the piano.
You just heard an excerpt from If I Can Help Somebody, song by Alma Androzzo, sung by Terry Liverman with Will Liverman at the piano off of the new Sadie Records album, Show Me the Way. And for the rest of the album, it's Will Liverman who does the singing and Jonathan King is at the piano. Now that people have heard selections spanning the whole recording, what messages, Will, would you like listeners to take from the individual pieces and sets, and especially from hearing the album as a whole? No, that's the great thing about music and art. People are going to have different takeaways and (laughs) quite an endeavor for someone to listen to the whole thing. And I hope people do. I think it's a great journey. I'm really happy with the offering that Jonathan and I have put forth and the great work that, that you guys have done on the production side and the collaborators that have taken time out to write for us and to perform a sense of hope and might be cliche, but the power of collaboration when ideas are formed in a room and artistry abounds from that in a real honest way. I hope people listen to this album and leave in a better place. Will, what performances and projects do you have coming up in the latter third of the 23-24 season and beyond? But next, I uh, will be doing Mercutio in uh, Romeo at the Met. It'll be my first full standard thing, which I'm really excited about. Then I go to do a few recitals. I've got one with Jonathan King, I think in Dayton. But I'm really excited for an Elijah that I have upcoming. It's my first Elijah, and that's a, a role um, that I've wanting to do for a long time with the Washington Chorus in D.C. Still working on the Factotum, the opera that I co-wrote. We're in the midst of making some changes and heading to a Portland opera in a future season. So the work continues on that as well. And just looking forward to releasing this project and getting it visible and out there for people to listen to. And I'm very excited for what's to come. Great. Well, with the Factotum, originally produced uh, by Lyric Opera of Chicago, and performances of Terrence Blanchard's Fire Shut Up in My Bones, also at Lyric Opera, a recent engagement with the Chicago Symphonietta, and on the Harris Theater's Beyond the Aria series, recording sessions for Chicago composer Shauna Pebelo's Songs in Flight, being recorded for CD Records at Wheaton College, appearing at the WFMT WTTW Gala this spring. You have been and continue to be at the heart of Chicago's artistic reemergence from the pandemic. How has that emergence been from your experience? I always call Virginia the place where I grew up as a child and Chicago the place where I grew up as an adult. And Chicago also coupled with all of my experiences here this city holds a lot of meaning to me. So to be a part of this chapter where it's like a, a renaissance, all of the commissions and new works and projects that are happening, and to be a part of that in a city that's so rich in its culture and art and a city that I feel like I've grown up in as a musician and an artist, I hold in really high esteem and all in the name of continuing to leave something good in the world behind and continuing to perform and create and until I can't. And finally, what makes Chicago continue to be your personal and artistic home base? The cold weather. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> it's the community, 10,000%. 
after going to school at Wheaton, those are my first ties into the city. I would take the train in from undergrad and go see, I think Dr. Atomic was the first thing I saw at Lyric. And going to CSO, Grant Park over the summers. I had a connection with the city very early on. And so to move back to do the program at Lyric Opera, to just stay based here, it's because of the community of people and the organizations surrounding the city that have supported me for so long that have kept me here. And I truly believe in what Chicago is doing and the art that it's making and the artists that are here. I'm doing so many wonderful things. To be in that number is a great honor. Sadi is a big part of that too, to have a artistic family where I'm able to record projects that are meaningful for me. It's a very special thing. Lyric Opera doing Factotum and Three Arts as well. It's a shout out to them. It's a great nonprofit that has helped me as well. It's like a family. It always keeps me coming back when I look at my lease. <laughs> and I was just hit renew. It's a city that definitely feels like home. Well, thank you so much, Will. This has been a real delight. Again, my guest on this Classical Chicago podcast is Will Liverman, who I'm proud to say is both a Sadie artist and board member. And, of course, the star of this album, along with pianist Jonathan King, Show Me the Way, the March 2024 release on Sadie Records. I really hope you'll have a chance to enjoy it.